And um, I said something to the effect that in the preparation of this word, I was encouraged that probably um, this was the most important word that I had prepared. Not, not that it, other words are not important, but it focused on Christ. It simply focused on the person of Jesus Christ. And that thought has gripped me uh, for about four or five weeks now. I was given a book, and it was called The Jesus Manifesto, and it, it pushed me in this direction of refocusing Christ in my life. And uh, it's that theme I want to continue uh, with you today. Remember, we looked at Mary and Martha and how uh, Martha was busy in the kitchen preparing a meal. She was doing a good thing, but how Mary, through against all the difficulties that were there, the cultural problems, her sister requiring her in the kitchen, maybe the men sitting in the room despising her presence, she forced herself to stay and to focus on the Lord Jesus Christ and to receive from him. And he said about Mary, she had received something that would never be taken away from her, something of eternal consequence, because she focused and determined to fix her attention on the Lord Jesus Christ. I want to expand that today. I want to ask us the question, what does it mean to love Jesus? What does it mean to love Jesus? Jesus isn't here. It's, we, we sometimes struggle with working out what it means to love a person who is here, who is present. How do we love one who is, is not here? And as I thought about that, I thought, do, do I love Jesus? Oh, I preach about it, and I sing about it, and I talk about it, but do I love Jesus? Do you love the Lord Jesus Christ? How do we do it? And what does it mean to do it? I'd ask you the question, what thoughts fill your mind? See, those things that we meditate on and think about and occupy our mind, they occupy our hearts. And to what extent does Jesus occupy your mind? How often do you think about him? How often do you contemplate him? How often do you relate to him? Does he get our attention? How much time does he occupy in your day, the Lord Jesus Christ? I'm not talking about Christian things. I'm talking about the Lord Jesus Christ. Does he fill your conversation? Those things give us direction in life, the things that occupy our minds and our thoughts. I've noticed this with some Christians, and this isn't a condemning thing. Some Christians have very little to do with spiritual things. Oh, they're good people. They know they are Christian. They know that Christ has died for them. But they don't fill their hearts and minds with Christian things. The world will press in on you. It will press you into its mould. It will cause you to think about itself. It will 
occupy your mind, your job, your home, your family, your life, your pastimes, your television, your reading. It will fill the whole of your thinking processes and the whole of your life. It can do that easily. And although we're Christians, we give very little time to thinking about Christ, the Lord Jesus Christ. Then there are Christians who do occupy themselves. They're more inclined to divine matters, but they fill their thinking with things like evangelism or church growth or learning theology or social action or leadership or missions or praise and worship or healing, deliverance, miracles, holiness, Israel, end times, prosperity, justice, politics. Now, they're all good things. They're all things that exercise our thoughts, but they're things. They're not Jesus. They're related to Jesus. He has, he has some involvement in these things, but it's not Jesus. See, I've got, I've got a thing about this now. When I get a thing, you get the thing. That's the way it works in church, okay? That's just the way it works. I want to challenge you. How much is your mind occupied with the person of Jesus Christ? Purely that. Purely that. How much concentration or thought or meditation does he get from you? He is, the word of God says, he is our all in all. Sometimes he can be sidetracked. Unfortunately, in some Christian lives, he's not thought of at all. We've hooked onto this Christian train and we're speaking the speak and we're moving in a direction with other Christians, but we're missing Christ in this. We understand a lot about religious things. We understand the working of church. We might even think we've cracked the second coming. We've, we've got an interest in evangelism. We, we love to do healing or ministry to the sick and the poor and the demonized. We love this, but we can do all these things and part Jesus over here. It's much more important who we worship, not how we worship. You know, we must have the most current, vibrant, alive, real songs. Fine. But you can sing them without worshipping Jesus. We could have the greatest musicians, the greatest singers, the greatest everything, but they would all agree with me what they want to do here in front of you is not play wonderful music and sing wonderful songs. They want to worship Jesus. So even if the quality wasn't as good but they were worshipping Jesus, that's what they're aiming at. I know I'm, I'm not so um, 
concerned about what I sing. I'm sorry, I apologise many times to Vince about that. I don't care what I sing. Daphne says, dear me, how can you sing that song? It's so old. It came out the ark. But it's like, I don't care. I want to worship Jesus. That's a poor excuse, I know, for not moving on. I understand that. And I do want the most current songs, and I think the Spirit of God moves through current songs, and I want the best that we can offer to God. But if we had that, but we didn't worship him... Did you worship him this morning? Did you worship Jesus? Did you see him? Or did you just sing some songs that you know them so well? Talking in those songs about how much he loves us and how much we love him. I've done deliverance many times. And I focused often on the success, not on Jesus, the deliverer. Evangelists focus on the numbers of people that get saved. And they don't focus on the Saviour. See, that means we're full of ourselves. That's all it means. I understand that's a process to empty oneself of oneself. But when one empties oneself, one can only be filled up with, with Jesus Christ. See, they rejoice in heaven when one gets saved. Not 10,000. Because they know that Jesus has been magnified in the one being saved. The scriptures in the Old Testament point to Jesus. Every verse, apparently, points to the Lord Jesus Christ. The Father exalts Jesus. He speaks from heaven on two or three occasions, and what does he say? This is my beloved Son, in whom I'm well pleased. Of all the things that God could have said from heaven, he simply exalts the Lord Jesus Christ. There's no finer thing to do, you see, even from the lips of the Father, than to exalt the Son. The Holy Spirit magnifies Jesus. The angels worship Jesus, and the church loves Jesus. Do you love him? We can slip into religion and miss Jesus. The joy of Christianity is Jesus. So if Jesus is removed somehow, there is no joy in Christianity. There is no joy in service. The joy is in Jesus. We sing about how much we love him and we testify to our love for him. I'm not sure people can can love people who they see sometimes, let alone love Jesus who they 
cannot see. I want you to consider this. Jesus is a man today. So when we sing to him, we glorify a man. We sing worship to the man, Christ Jesus. So that's fine. We know he is somewhere. He does exist. The one who came and shed his life spent his life for you. We're worshipping that man this morning. But it's impossible to apprehend him physically. One day we will. Have you thought of the day when you meet the physical person of Jesus Christ? Have you thought about that day? Plan it. Plan it. <laughs> What a wonderful day when we actually physically meet the one who has captured our heart, who means so much to us, who we love with an everlasting love. Will you just crumple in a heap on the floor? Will you be overwhelmed with weeping? Will you throw yourself at his feet? What will you do when you meet the Christ? So, well, I haven't thought really about it. Why not? The very love of your life will appear in human form before you. How will you express your love to him? Our fellowship and friendship is through his spirit living in us. He said, it is better that I leave you and come to you in spiritual form that I might dwell inside of you. He's permanently with us. Do you understand? This person of Jesus Christ that we worship at a distance has come to live inside of me. So at any second of any moment of any day, I can simply turn aside and the person of Jesus is there. Do you understand? This is the one that you love. He said, listen, I, I love you. I will never leave you. I will never leave you or forsake you. I will come and dwell there in you, with you. We love him by acknowledging his presence. 24 hours a day, 365 days of the year, Jesus is there. In your workplace, in your home, in your bedroom, in your kitchen, all you've got to do is turn. You understand? Turn. Turn to him. And he's there. 
It's as real as if he were there because he is there by his spirit. It's wonderful. To ignore him is not to love him. To fill your life with everything else that you can manage to go through the whole day for eight and nine hours and not even give him a thought is not to love him. He just wants your attention. He wants your presence more than you want his presence. He wants your mind and your attention. He wants your conversation. He wants your thoughts constantly. How can you walk with him all day and ignore him as though he were not there? We have the scriptures that show us his beauty and his grace. Penned by the Holy Spirit, we see the beauty of Jesus on these pages. When we read the very words come off the page that he spoke, and his words our spirit and life to us. We see his beauty, we hear his words, we receive his wisdom, we look at his beauty and grace from his word. When you read the Bible, read a little bit. Don't read a lot of it. Read a little bit of it. And let him speak to you. Let him reveal himself to you. This is much more important than to know the lists of all the kings and what they did and whether they were good or whether they were bad. It's far more important that we meet the Son of God as he lifts himself off these pages to us. We can only truly love God when we make him the main occupation and thought of our life. It doesn't mean you don't do anything else. You don't enjoy things. You say, well, I like sport. Well, put him in there. Put Jesus in there. Talk to him in there. So what do you think about this person? What do you think about this game? And he might say, load of rubbish. You want to support a good team? I don't know what he might say, but you've got to bring Jesus into your life. He doesn't expect you to walk around like a zombie Christian just thinking about spiritual things, but he expects you to bring him into your life, into your family, into your difficulties, into your workplace, into your relationships. In, he wants to sit at your meal table. That's why you say, God, thank you for this precious food that you have provided for me. He wants to be in everything because he is there. Don't exclude him anymore. You go to a party, take Jesus. You go on holiday, take Jesus. Come into church, it's a wonderful experience. 
But don't leave Jesus here when you go. Take him to school, take him to the workplace, take him to the scrabble table, take him on mission, take him everywhere you go, just take him, take him, take him, take him. That's how we love him. He loves to enter into our life. Every part of it. He loves to be there with us. If you've gone an hour or two in the day and you didn't give him a thought, check yourself. Check yourself. I'm not saying go off and read the Bible for a half an hour at work. I'm not saying that, but bring him into the boardroom meetings. Bring him into your relationship. Bring him into the sales floor. Bring him wherever you are. Bring him into the wards. Bring him into the classroom. Bring him in. Bring him in, because he's there. That's how you love him. If you tell someone you love them and ignore them, they soon come back at you and say, that's a load of rubbish. You can't say you love me and then you ignore me. Let his words speak to us. Do you know his words sufficient that it speaks to you? It echoes off the pages of this book. How many times has he said to you, fear not, fear not, fear not, fear not, fear not, fear not. He's bored with himself. He speaks off the pages of the book because his words are spirit and truth. They are living and active words. You must meditate. You must meditate. You must find quiet times and meditate on Jesus. Don't empty your mind. Fill it with Jesus. Meditate on the stories. Meditate on things that he said. Allow him to come and minister to you. Jesus went to a wedding in Cana with his disciples. I can't help feeling it was a setup by God because they ran out of wine, remember? Mary, with her enthusiasm, encouraged Jesus to do something about it. So the wine runs out and the poor bridegroom of the feast is going to be terribly embarrassed. Jesus is full of compassion for this man. Don't look at the miracle of turning water into wine. It's irrelevant. It's irrelevant. That's not important. That's not the important part of the story. I mean, that was, that was just... Jesus just did that. That was, that was nothing. That was nothing to him. Absolutely nothing. What is important to us, because you'll probably never turn water into wine, get it? So it's not important. It's not important if you'll never do it, and you won't do it. You say, well, don't say that to me. I'm Pentecostal. I can do that. No, you can't. You won't do it. I'll tell you now. If you do, come back, and I'll eat my words. But it probably won't happen. Don't worry about it. So focus on Jesus. 
See Jesus sitting there. See, when you read these stories, look at Jesus. Use your imagination. Don't just read the stories. They're far too short. Meditate. Jesus is moved with compassion and concern for this precious man. How did he get into this mess? Maybe more guests come than he anticipated. Maybe he didn't have enough money to buy all the wine. Maybe people drank more than they should have drank. Maybe they stayed longer than he anticipated them saying, whatever the reason, we don't know. But what we do know is this man is going to be full of shame and embarrassment. That's what Jesus is concerned with. And so, as you focus on Jesus, he's going to move into the situation and resolve this man's problems for him. It's irrelevant how he does it. It doesn't matter. He could have put £100 on the table or £200 on the table and said, go buy some more wine. It doesn't matter. The thing is, he was moved by compassion towards this man. He removed his shame. He supplied his lack. He covered his mistake. He removes his disgrace. He reverses his failure and he makes him look like a champion. Now, that Jesus that was at that marriage feast, he's with you now. You understand? He said, I'll never leave you or forsake you, so wherever you go and whatever circumstance you come up against that's going to bring shame or embarrassment or lack or failure, I am the Jesus that will meet your need. You don't get that unless you meditate on his word. It's not doctrine. It's Jesus. It's not understanding the theory of everything. It's knowing the person of Jesus who is there with you all the time. Imagine having an open wedding. You're expecting 100 guests and 150 turn up. And you've prepared food for 100 and... What do you do? You, you run quick and get your credit card and order something desperately quick, and solve the problem. That's all right. If you can do that, fine. But what happens if you can't do that? See, we will always do what we can do to solve the problem. Thank God we get to places where we can't solve it. Hallelujah, Jesus. Credit card doesn't work. Telephones are down. Nothing works. God sets you up that you might focus on this person called Jesus. And he can demonstrate his love and compassion for you. He's so wonderful. This man, Christ Jesus, is not to be ignored. Christians do it constantly at their peril. He's your friend right there to help you. Mission can be terrible. Do you understand? Oh, I know Daphne, she always soups it up. 
It's awful at times, absolutely awful. There are dark spots in mission. People come to the end of their tether. <laughs> the grumblings pour out. As the leader, you think, what ungrateful people they are. Nothing just quite works the way they want it to. Mission is supposed to hurt, you understand. Come on, mission, it will be painful for you. Things will bite you. Food will make you sick. Beds will be uncomfortable. Cockroaches will run around in your room. Praise the Lord. If you don't get that, you haven't been on mission. Honestly, come on. Daphne tries to cover all the angles, but they always outwit her. You've got Jesus with you. I mean, Daphne's fine. But she comes a poor second to Jesus. Jesus is in your bedroom. When you're told to do something you've never done before, Jesus is there. Remember Jesus met the woman at the well. A divorcee five times. A woman of ill repute. So he's sitting. And she comes. Do you know what he does? He engages her in conversation. Some people are terrible. Terrible at this. They can't open their mouths. Jesus engages her in conversation. Not only that, he shares a truth with her that most of the world does not know. And she is an ignorant Samaritan woman. That's the way they would have been looked at. And he's sharing the truth that comes from the very throne room of God with this woman. And he does something that is terrible. He drinks from her cup. He drinks from her cup. Ah! Never. Ah! Unclean. That's the Jesus. When you read the story... Don't look at the questions and the answers and the doctrine and the theology and all that. Like, that's all right, that all says something, I know. But if you've only got that, but you didn't meet Jesus in the story, you miss the most important part of the story. For years, I looked at all this technical stuff. So I could tell you things that you never realised and you never saw and they were cultural and all this blah, blah, blah. Wonderful, you say. Thank you, Philip. You've explained the story, but did you get Jesus? Did you see the compassion of this man, the love of this man, the grace of this man? He woos her to such an extent she goes and brings all her friends and says, 
Come with me. I've met a man who knows everything. Come with me. See, she met Jesus. I live with a man who knows everything. He's wonderful. He's wonderful. He's my friend. He's constantly with us to comfort us. On another occasion, he's in the house of Pharisees and a prostitute comes and she, she brings this ointment. You must, see, you must imagine, you must imagine. She, she poured it on his feet. How, how did she do this? Get into this. How, how, how do you do it? How, how do you do it? She, I'm going to embarrass you. She didn't, she didn't pour it on his feet on the ground, did she? She, she probably... She probably put his feet on her lap. You know what I mean? And, and she probably caressed his feet. And she took this and she poured this over him. And then, and then she, did, she did an amazing thing. She took the clip out of her hair and she let her hair fall. That is an extremely intimate thing to do. That would only happen in the bedroom. Only in front of the husband. So she lets the hair fall and as she holds this, she anoints his feet with the hair of her head. And you can hear the Pharisees saying, how can he let this woman touch him? Doesn't he know who she is? Surely he knows. Most surely he knows who she is. And he knows what this means, and he knows what this means. He couldn't be more intimate with her in a public place than at that moment. I love this. He forgave all of her sins. Do you get that? See, what he said was so important. And he said, I send you away from me with my peace. See, I've got this friend who walks with me and I mess up. I do. I say things and I think things that I wish I never said or did or thought. They're not big, big things, but they're enough to upset me. But my friend keeps saying to me, it's fine. Don't worry. Don't worry. I forgive you. 
I forgive you. I forgive you. I forgive you. I forgive you. Go in peace. I said, no, no, I want to beat myself up. Let me, let me beat myself up a bit. Please, let me hurt myself. Let me wallow in this. Let me, let me cry a little bit. Let me, let me be really depressed about the thing I've said and done. And he says, shh, I forgive you. I forgive you. Now, go on in peace. Go on in peace. Because I'm your friend. And I love you. Genuine Christianity is learning to live with the indwelling Christ. That's it. Learning to live with Jesus on the inside. You can't take him to some places. But you do. You take him to conversations which he's uncomfortable in. And you know because he says, I don't want to be here while you're saying these things and doing these things and acting like this. That's the indwelling person of Jesus Christ who lives inside us. Not to live with him constantly is to ignore the greatest friend we've ever had. To live with him, we must know him. The word of God says, fix your eyes on Jesus, the author and finisher of your faith. That's in Hebrews 12. It's after Hebrews 11, the great chapter of faith. He said, look at all these great men and women of faith. Now turn away from them and fix your eyes on Jesus. You love him by living with him every moment of every day. We love him by letting him live with us. You go home today, maybe sit around the meal table. He's there. Whatever you do this afternoon, he's there. Come to that baptismal service, he's there. You go home, he's there. You go to bed, he's there. You wake up in the morning, he's there. He's there. He's there to be your friend. We sing that lovely song, Turn your eyes upon Jesus. Look full in his wonderful face. And the things of this earth they will grow strangely dim in the light of his glory and grace. We're the most fortunate people on the planet because the Son of God is our friend and he lives in us and with us. God bless you.